Hello, I'm Hannah. And I'm Mike, a.k.a. Dad. And you're listening to Everything I Know, I Learned from Dad. In this podcast, my dad and I, and sometimes my sister Maddie, share our perspective on some of life's most valuable lessons. A lot of what my dad taught me didn't always make sense growing up, but today I attribute my successful transition to adulthood to his guidance, and we're here to share his wisdom with you. So, whether you're a young adult or a parent, we think you'll find value in our stories, and we're glad you're here. Welcome back to Everything I Know I Learned from Dad. I am here with just Dad today. And this topic that we're going to talk about today actually came up fairly recently. And as we're talking, I was like, Dad, we should record this conversation because this would be so good for a podcast. But instead, we're going to recreate it for you today. Um, And we'll talk about a couple of different things that kind of roll up into one lesson that I've learned from Dad and that I've heard him question me about many times, but specifically, Um, one scenario that I encountered very recently that I thought our listeners, you all would benefit from. Before we dive in, I just want to address dad might sound a little different this episode because he's not recording from his walk-in closet today. He's recording from a completely different location. And this is, this is the independent hobby podcaster giving you a disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) So very recently I decided I wanted to open a new credit card. I have had one general MasterCard for my entire like existence of owning a credit card. And I decided that it would be good for my credit score to open another line of credit to have more credit available and then use a smaller percentage of my available credit. But there are also so many cards out there with so many different rewards. And I was getting so many solicitations in the mail. I'm like, okay, I think you know, I know I want to do some traveling coming up, like what card's going to be best for me? I'm getting all these solicitations. I know I want a new card. So I called up dad <laughs> and I said to him, here's the thoughts that I'm having. Here's what I'm going through here. And he helped talk me through the right decision for me. Now, the decision for you might be a little bit different, and we're going to talk through what this decision looked like so that you can take some of the tools from this today to maybe do your own research on credit cards or any of the other topics that we talk about today. Can I just take a step back? There are two things you said I just want to address. Okay. One, you said, oh, I want to get another credit card because it'll make my credit score go up. In reality, when you apply for a credit card, the fact that you are asking for more credit will cause your credit score to go down initially. Mm -hmm. But then if over time you're using a smaller percentage of your total credit, you will in fact see it go up, perhaps. It should likely go up beyond where it was before you applied for the card. So, okay, so yes. that's one. When that, that, and I was looking at the long-term of it. Yes, but if you're about to buy a car and you need, and your interest rate's a function of your credit score, don't go be applying for a credit card right before that because it's going to hurt you, not help you. Yeah. Right. The second thing you said was, I get solicitations all the time for credit cards. I don't. And the reason I don't is because I opted out. 
of credit card solicitations. And you can Tell do me that. how I can do this. You just have to, there's a way to do it online. I don't like entering a lot of personal information online. So I did it. I think it's still valid. I actually have a contact for it. I think it's still valid. You call 888-5-OPT-OUT. Wow. And you can put in your information about your name and address and maybe your so I don't think you have to put your social in. I can't remember. Or maybe the last four. Maybe the last something. four. And you get opted out of credit card solicitations for a period of time. I can't remember if it's one year, three year, or five year. And then if you do it in a written form, you can do it for life. And that's mm -hmm. what I, I did it for life. Like I did it once and I'm done. And I don't yeah. get those stupid solicitations. So back to your question or where we were. So I remember when, when you and I had this conversation, what was the first thing that you'd suggested? Oh, let's make a spreadsheet. That's exactly what happened. We made a spreadsheet <laughs> and it's actually, it makes so much sense because I was trying to compare three different credit cards. So first of all, I did do research on credit cards before calling my dad. There's a website called Nerd Wallet where you can fill out a survey of how you use your credit cards, what perks and benefits you want to see in a credit card, what are your first choice, second choice, third choice, how much you spend in a year, all of these things. And I came up with three or four specific credit cards that I was looking at. And so we made a spreadsheet where we had different columns dedicated to different rewards. And then we're doing math across all of these columns to figure out which card was actually going to net me the most money in terms of its perks and benefits. Well, call it value because if, had, if it had been points, like True. mileage points, that wouldn't have been money, but. True. Yeah. So I make emotional decisions. I, Hannah, am an emotional decision maker. Oh, yes, you are. And dad is a logical decision maker, which is why we use spreadsheets to make decisions. So I'm looking at this credit card. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was like, 6% cash back on groceries and 2% cash back on gas and a $500 bonus payout of cash back after spending $4,000 in the first 90 days. And I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. And I have this other card that was, you know, 2% cash back on all purchases and nothing else. There was no annual fee, no rewards. And I, of course, am wide-eyed at these big numbers because emotionally they make me excited. They make me feel good. I like 6% cash back on groceries. I like a $500 payout after spending a certain amount of money. I don't think it was 500. I think it was maybe more like 200. But I make all I these- I have the spreadsheet. I can tell you. <laughs> Perfect. You were going to get a 150 bonus or $200 bonus depending on the cards. Okay. Yeah. And so you see these numbers and you have this emotional reaction. Well, that sounds great. That must be great. Well, it turned out after all is said and done, neither of those credit cards were the best option for me. One, because the 6% on grocery card, didn't it have an annual fee? After the first year. Okay. So I kind of want to talk through, like, let's break down one of those columns. Because yeah. we actually talked about, like, how much do I actually spend on groceries in a year? And if you go to, so if, if you're lucky enough to have a longstanding credit card, you can go to your annual reports under your credit card account, and it can actually tell you how much you spend in a year on groceries exactly, because it knows based on the merchants, how much you're spending. So I knew how much I was spending on groceries in a year, but didn't think <laughs> to compare this number. I just sucked 6% and I was like, I spend a lot on groceries. That sounds good. Uh, not all cards offer that, but many of them do. 
So what we did, we basically, yeah, we said, oh, this is great. So this credit card offers 6% back on groceries and streaming, 3% back on gas, tolls, and rideshare, and 1% back on everything else. Now, you, you know, the, all the credit cards we ended up comparing were for cash back. Right. Right. But there's also travel benefits, you know, with other cards, you can get miles or you can get points or whatever. I think I convinced you early on, or maybe you just decided it didn't matter, but I've, I'm of the opinion that at least historically travel points are worth less than some of the best cashback programs. Like if you spend a thousand dollars, what you get back in points versus what you get back in cashback, you can, in my opinion, buy the ticket you would have gotten with the points by using your cashback rewards and ending up with something left over. Right. right? And if you need to spend $30,000 to get 30,000 points to get you a, an airfare, and if $30,000, if you're on a 2% back credit card, $30,000 gets you $600. Can you buy that airfare for less than $600? And if so, then isn't it better to have the cash? Not to mention the flexibility. You're not tied into an airline or a hotel or whatever. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And some points expire. So then you're like forced to use them. And I also, since inflation and COVID, a lot of credit card companies are actually coming out and saying that they're diluting the value of points because of the increase in the cost of travel. Yeah. That's the issue with air miles um, and hotel points is if you don't use them, there is an inflation factor because they do keep raising the point value necessary to get the same reward. Yeah. Okay. Back to the story. So what we we sat down, we made a spreadsheet. So we had one column for actually two columns for each credit card. One was a column for the percentage you would get back. And the other was a calculated field as to how much money was that really going to be. Right. And to the left of all that, we had a row, a couple of columns. One was a row for, let's say groceries. What do you spend on groceries? You had a column for groceries that said groceries, basically the category and a column next to it, which was how much do you spend every year? And then you use that amount spent to calculate what the reward was worth, right? So you said you spend $3,000 on groceries. So a 6% reward on that is worth $180 a year. Then you had the gas tolls and ride share. And next to that, we wrote $1,000 a year. You multiply that by the 3% in the next column for this particular card, and you got $30 back. And so we did that for each of the special categories where there was something greater than 1%. And then we said, well, how much do you spend on your credit card in total? That was 16,000 a year. Right. And we said, okay, so anything that's not in a special category is 1%. And we said, okay, well, everything that's left then is worth 1%. So we multiplied that. It was like $8,000. So that was worth 80 bucks. And then we added it all up and we did that for each of the pairs of columns. We had a column for Amex, we had a column for Discover, we had a column for Capital One, we had a column for Fidelity. Uh, and we just did the math across each row based on your spending, which didn't change from card to card. What changed from card to card was the reward percentage based on the category. And when it was all said and done, we ended up saying, you know what, 2% across the board for you was the best option, which is I think true for a lot of people unless you use your card exclusively for groceries, which, you know, some people can do that. I suppose you can go out and get a card for each of the things. 
that pays back a lot. It then yeah, becomes, and there are people that do that. Yeah, we have a I mean, we have a card that that we got through Amazon. You know, that means that Amazon and Whole Foods purchases get you five percent back. Yeah, we have that card, and we only use it for Amazon and Whole Foods. Yeah, so we uh, we actually do that for that, those purchases, but nothing else. Yeah. So bottom line for you was. 2% on everything is better than 6% on groceries, 3% <laughs> on gas tolls and rideshare, and 1% on everything else. Right. You had another card option that was a little, it was 3% on groceries, 3% on, oh, and streaming, and 3% on uh, dining out, which again, for a lot of people, if they go out a lot, that could be worth significant amount. That was a lot better than 1%. But when you added it all up, what you gave up on one, you got on another, it still didn't beat the 2% across the board. Yeah. So the bottom line here is a spreadsheet and actually looking at the numbers specifically and comparing these cards. The comparison charts on the internet are abstract because they don't relate to you. So break it down, take the time and actually figure out what's best. Yeah. Just change it from being a subjective decision to an objective decision. Right? And not an emotional one. And not subjective, meaning in this case, emotional. Don't take the subjectiveness out of it. Just do the math. And um, the answer becomes quite clear. I mean, it's actually a little muddy because, okay, this car doesn't have an annual fee in the first year, but it does thereafter. And getting, oh, you get 150 bonus. Oh, and a one-time Amazon bonus. I mean, you can look at all that stuff. And unless you want to change cards every year, you might find a little bit more money in one versus another, but only in the first year. And we know that applying for credit in general is not the best thing to be doing on a regular basis. So just find a card that works, in my opinion, and, and just stick with it. Not to mention that when you're with a credit card company long enough, if you miss a payment, you can call them up and they'll probably waive the fee, the, the penalty for having missed, you know, if you're a few days late, or if they have a warranty protection of some kind and something goes wrong, you know. It's just going to be a lot easier to deal with a company you have a long-term relationship with. Right. You have a little more leverage to say, you know, I've been here a long time. Don't make me want to leave kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I want to make a quick note before we move on here. As we listened back to this episode before releasing it, Dad realized he left out a very important piece of information, and that is interest rates. If you remember from season one, episode three, Live Within Your Means, when we first talked about credit cards, you learned that dad encourages my sister and I to pay our credit card bills in full each month, which we do. So when comparing credit cards for myself, I wasn't paying attention to interest rates because I don't pay interest. If you are a person that carries balance on your credit cards, interest rates are a very important thing to consider when you are comparing multiple credit cards. And don't forget to read the fine print because oftentimes credit cards increase your interest rates if you miss a payment. So pay very close attention to interest rates if you are one that pays them. And back to the episode. Just like credit card companies, a lot of other companies use solicitation tactics and make the advertisement of their offering sound really, really good. But when you really get down to the fine print of something, it might not be as great as what meets the eye. Like when you are watching television and, you know, you see a a commercial for a cell phone plan or you see a commercial for a, uh, a streaming service of some kind or you see a commercial for a new cable service or this cool new thing. 
they're always rambling about what is great about their offer, but they're not telling you, of course, where they're going to get you in other ways, <laughs> like having to lease the cable box and having to pay for multiple remotes and then having to pay for the delivery of service. And then they have to set up. So they're going to charge you another hundred dollars there. And then I'll tell you what really bothers me about the cable companies is the fees, the taxes and the fees. You might pay a hundred dollars a month for the service, but I think could easily be another 50 or $60 in fees and surcharges. So when they say $99 a month plus fees and charges or taxes, whatever, <laughs> yeah, they keep the price low and then tack on all these other things, some of which are government things and some of which are just them taking the money because they have to pay. I mean, let's face it, especially for sports. I mean, the companies, cable companies have to spend a lot of money paying for those sports channels that some people watch and we all pay the surcharge for those kinds of fees yeah. on the bill, but it's not in the monthly fee. It's a separate charge. Right. And then not to mention your $99 a month is only actually valid for a year. And then once you renew your plan, then it's a hundred and something a month. And then you're, you know, you're not getting the same deal you signed up for, but it only says that like in the fine print, there's a footnote or there's a small, small thing buried somewhere in those contracts that then say by signing, you're agreeing to this. Yeah, I do like, there's some cell phone companies now that like I, I know, for example, T-Mobile, some of their plans say inclusive of everything, including mm. taxes. And I like that because, yeah. you know, for comparison's sake, I'm on a plan that doesn't include taxes, but I know what my bottom line number is. And to see something that's bottom line, that's good. When it's not, if I'm calling a cable company or a cell phone company and I and they have this offer, I say, tell me what it's going to be after all fees and taxes and surcharges before I make a decision. And they often, usually they can tell me the answer to that. But mm -hmm. I want to know before I make a decision. Speaking of T-Mobile, very early on in having this plan, you ended up with this recurring payment on your yeah, we got card. this recurring, I think it was 10 or $15 a month charge on our cell phone bill. We had no idea what it was. And when we did the research, we found out that you clicked on something. I don't know. You played a game. You accepted some, you know, we all see the accept the terms button, right? And we all just click without thinking or reading. Yeah. But in this case, it was a click that basically committed you to a monthly subscription that you had no idea about. And it was a bit of an effort to get it to stop. <laughs> so I know that we've all been getting trained to just click accept buttons because we see them all the time with apps and all that stuff. Yeah. But don't let it, don't let it get you. Get I you. mean, we're not going to sit and read all the Apple terms of service and agreements as we're opening up a new phone and setting it up. But I mean, there are limitations to everything that we're signing up for. There's fine print for everything. And I think that this was the first instance where you sat me down and said, Hannah, you need to start learning to read the fine print on things that you agree to. <laughs> because here's what I got stuck with as a result of what you did or didn't realize that I did. Right. I don't remember this in great detail, but that was probably the point in time when I heard you say, did you read the fine print for the very first time? And it's been repeated multiple times since. <laughs> All right. So I 
think it's time for What Would Dad Do? So we may have mentioned this before, but in case we haven't, the there's an important detail you should know before we go into What Would Dad Do? Um, so for those of you that may not know, our dad loves dogs. He had a dog growing up and my mom is not a huge fan of dogs and had cats growing up. So essentially our household was a non-fur baby family because there was not an agreement between mom and dad of whether we get a cat or a dog. And Maddie and I weren't exactly like excited to the idea anyway. I think we were both a little afraid of dogs when we were younger, but in retirement, because dad doesn't have a dog, he's like, well, now they have all this time on my hands. I'm going to go volunteer at a dog shelter. And how long did you volunteer at the dog shelter before you brought a dog home? I was a little over a year. <laughs> wow. Made it a lot further than I thought you would have. I didn't think it was that long. Yeah. I started in summer of 19 and I adopted Maisie in November of 20. So there we go. So the what would dad do question has to do with pet ownership. A young person would like to get herself a dog and just sort of wants to know things to consider when wanting to take on this responsibility because it is a responsibility. So if you were a young person that had other responsibilities aside from the possibility of owning a dog, what would you advise this young person? First of all, what I would say is having a dog, especially if you start with a puppy, you should think about it in terms of what it would be like to have a two-year-old child because it's essentially the same burden, right? You know, a two-year-old needs to be watched all the time, needs to be, you know, there's always a risk that they're going to put something in their mouth that they shouldn't have in their mouth. Uh, they have know, to go to the bathroom yeah. pretty frequently. Yep. And you can't leave them alone. You can't just go out and do what you want to do. You always have to worry about that. Um, you know, so, so I'd say, first of all, if you're not, if you're not of the mind and the wherewithal to have a two-year-old child in your house, you're probably not prepared to have a puppy. Mm-hmm. So beyond that generalization, I think you have to be prepared financially. You know, dogs eat. They require a bunch of things like leashes and collars and uh, medicine, you know, Beds, heart, heart toys. Med, you know, just every dog probably should have a, our dog, you know, they have um, heartworm medicine and uh, flea and tick medicine. Uh, you got to go to the vet every once in a while. Um, those things add up if you want to get pet insurance and say, well, that, that covers the emergencies. It doesn't cover the routine stuff. And even then you could easily spend 30 or $40 a month on that. Um, then if you, you know, like a two-year-old, if you want to go out, you got to get a babysitter. Well, you have a dog, you may be able to train the dog to be home by him or herself, but probably not right off the bat. That could take several months of them getting used to you and you getting used to them before that's possible. But then even then it's like, you can't, if you go away, what if you have to go away on an overnight? What do you do with the dog? Uh, You might have some people you can rely on that I found not entirely a good strategy. You can rely on um, boarding locations that, you know, will take care of the dog for you, but then, okay, there you go. There's another 
60 to 80 dollars a night probably if not more to have your dog taken care of for one night and then there's just you know the the fact that dogs are very social animals and as such want your attention <laughs> um so you can't just have a dog as a showpiece or as a you know kind of part of the landscape it is a dog it's a it's a it's a creature that wants to play with you uh, which is always fun it's nice you know but um you have to have the time and the bandwidth and the space and the space for a dog mm -hmm. dogs need a lot of uh they need to burn energy right dogs that are destructive are in many cases dogs that just have pent-up energy and so you have to be able to spend a lot of time walking them or running with them or finding ways for them to play with other dogs if they're mm -hmm. of the of the nature where that works mm -hmm. um so, I mean, I love dogs. I absolutely love dogs. And I, and I know a lot of people that have dogs and they love their dogs, but it is a quite a, a significant responsibility. And I can tell you that at, uh, where I volunteer, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen on occasion that dogs that get adopted out come back. Mm -hmm. And the reason often is because people, they make up reasons, but the bottom line is, they were not prepared for the responsibility and the attention necessary to raise a dog that's going to be well behaved and a uh, an enjoyable part of the household. Mm -hmm. They are a joy, but they're they also are a, a lot joy. of work. They absolutely are. Um, but they have, you know, we adopted Maisie in November, and I would say it wasn't until. I don't know, January, February, March, before we really got into a routine and we understood each other and we could communicate with one another. I mean, I, I am at the point where I can read signals from the dog, whether it's food, bathroom, attention, whatever, and she can read mine. She understands, um, you know, when we're going to go in the car and when we're going to go for a walk and when she's going to eat. And I tell her these things and she understands. And sometimes she asks me for things and I can tell her no, and she gets that too. But it takes months to develop that relationship. And even just walking a dog, dogs want to pull. They want to pull wherever they want to go. And you got to be, either you got to train them or you got to pay someone to train them. And that means you got to do some reading, you got to watch some videos, or you got to spend money on a trainer. But um, by the way, training a dog is mostly about training the owner, not the dog itself. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's a time commitment. It's not a, it's not a zero maintenance proposition by right. any means. And when you're building that relationship and trust with the dog, you need routine also. And so if you have a very haphazard schedule where you maybe work multiple part-time jobs, or if you're still in school and you have a different class schedule every single day, that routine is going to make the training and the building of that relationship and trust even harder. Yes. And so I, I mean... I don't know what you would tell a young person. I mean, we're telling you what to consider as a young person, yeah. but I think dad's advice might be to wait until you're more stable. You're on, you're more stable. Yeah. Whether you're settled you, in. Right? Yeah, you're settled. not going to be moving. You got a relatively predictable schedule. Um, yeah. I, th I think those are important factors yeah. for sure. And if you really, really want to own a pet, maybe a cat would be better for you. <laughs> or maybe go volunteer, go volunteer at a place at a and show. then you can yeah. get your dog fixed. Because yeah. that's, you know, I, I will say my personal experience is I think I benefited from getting to know the dogs at the shelter before I decided, mm -hmm. A, before deciding to adopt, and then B, before deciding which dog to adopt. Mm -hmm. 
you know, don't choose a dog based on their picture or their looks. You've got to make sure that the behaviors are a good match for your situation. Mm-hmm. And you can read up on breeds. Maybe there are breeds that do better in small spaces or with less exercise and vice versa. So, you know, it also takes some research as well. Yeah. Even given all those considerations, I will say that having a dog can be a very much a joyful experience and, and having a dog become part of the family can be a wonderful thing. You just need to know what you're getting into before you do it. <laughs> I think it's funny that now that you're empty nesters, you've now nested yourselves again with a dog. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But now we have more reasons to come home. In addition to hanging out with mom and dad. Uh, so I think that's it for now and we'll see you next week we hope you enjoyed this episode of everything I know I learned from dad please show your support for our podcast by dropping a review subscribing to the show and sharing it with others we also invite you to email us questions you'd like to see answered in a future episode or share something valuable you learned from your dad we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening